All right, so we got If God, Why Evil, Part 2. And so last week we were just talking about evil and how did it come to exist and what is evil. And again, so there's a lot. And ultimately, the short answer on that is, is right, evil exists because... Well, that's what evil is. It's an absence of good, but it exists because of free will. Because God created beings with a free will. And free will is the ability to choose that which is right. right? The world says free will is I can do whatever I want. That's not free will. Right? Free will is the ability to choose that which is right. And so it makes it really simple. You have the ability to choose right. If you don't, then you've, you've chosen wrong. Okay, and so that becomes the simple answer as we look at it. Uh, Alvin Plantinga, he's a philosopher, and he kind of came up with this free will defense where he, he's just talking about, right, where God maintains his holiness in that whole process because we have free will. We are beings with free will. And so while it makes evil possible, it doesn't make God, the, he's not the author of it. He's not the author of that evil. It's ultimately we brought that into existence through free will. Tonight, we're really going to look at more of the aspects of suffering that comes from evil. And is there good that can come from suffering? Okay? Questions? All right, we'll go. Hang on. There we go. There we go. So again, we started out with this thing here, Epicurus' Dilemma. So we're going to look at that again and just come back to that just to refresh everything. Epicurus, right? He, Greek philosopher, and this is his argument against God. He says, if God is unable to prevent evil, then he isn't all-powerful. If God is not willing to prevent evil, he's not all good. And if God is not willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? And so his argument is, is because evil exists, there can't be a good God or a loving God. And again, Humes did that in the, uh, in the 1800s. He made the same argument for that. And then four is, is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? And so that's the argument. It trips up a lot of people. It's been used for a long time, and obviously because it's been effective. So that's what we're still dealing with. And so now we have the purpose of evil and suffering. Is there a purpose for evil and suffering, for God even to allow evil and suffering to exist? Is there any good that can actually come out of that? Again, so God did not create evil. Evil is not a tangible thing that we can, we can touch or we can point to. We can say somebody is evil, right? But even in that state, that is a person that is an image bearer of God. So it's not they in themselves are that material idea of what is evil it's just their decisions their free will that they've used for evil so god did not create evil it's not a created thing right but he did create free will and free will is what makes love possible right? we talked about that last week and again it's the idea of worship i mean god could have created a being that did not have free will but that being, and he could have even programmed that being to worship him, but that's not true worship, right? That's like if you just programmed a computer to say, I love you every time you turn it on. 
Well, we know it says it, but it doesn't, doesn't really love you. It's just doing what it was programmed to do. There's no meaning. There's no value in that. Okay, so free will makes love possible, but it also allows for the possibility of evil. And so but when we talk from God's perspective, it's not just a possibility because he knows all things in the eternal now. He knows the past, the present, and the future, just like we know today, this moment. So he knew it was going to happen. For us, it, just, it was a possibility. For Adam and Eve, it was a possibility that, it, that would exist through their free will. And God does not cause evil, but he does permit it. God does permit evil. And we were just talking back here with Job, right? And Satan goes before God and God, you, you know, and you, don't, you, you know you don't want God saying that about you anyway. Well, hey, what about in my servant Job? And he says, you can go and do whatever you wish to Job, just don't take his life. He permitted it but he did not cause it. Okay? Are we good? Questions? Moving on. So, because God permits evil does not mean he does not care. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care because he permits it. So when we suffer at the hands of evil, we do not suffer alone. That's the first thing that we want to recognize. We do not suffer alone when we suffer at the hands of evil. Right, Hebrews 2.18, for since, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Hebrews 4.15 and 16, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And again, you know, it's when you go through the storms is when you think, man, I'm alone. Does God even care? And he does, and he's there. And even though, and again, that's where we we don't lean on our feelings, but we lean upon the truthfulness of God's word. What does God's word say? Because we know our feelings are not always an accurate barometer of what is really going on or how God perceives us or how we perceive others. So why would a loving God permit evil and suffering to exist? Fair question. It's a fair question to ask, and everybody does. And some, at some point in time in their life, they're going to ask that question if they haven't already asked it. Does evil and suffering serve any good purpose? So let's look at that. First thing is, is we need to recognize is that we're finite beings, right? It means there was a time when we did not exist, and we came into existence. And we came into existence. And as finite beings, we're not all-knowing. We do not know all things. And you know, and this, the, the thing about it is, is even as we get in, when you go to heaven, you're not going to know all things. Right? You won't know all things when you go to heaven. You'll have eternity to learn a lot. But you won't know all things. We're not all-knowing beings. Just because we don't know a good purpose for some evil does not mean there is no good purpose for evil. Just because I can't think of a reason for a particular evil to exist, a good purpose for that doesn't mean that it does not exist. 
right? I mean, how often do we, we see a situation and we make a, a judgment on that situation, but we just don't know everything that went into that, that, that situation? But we sure act like we do, right? We sure act like we do, and then it's like, well, did you know this happened? Well, no, I didn't know that. And then that changes everything. We don't, just because we don't know doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, Okay? As finite beings, we should not expect to know the purpose for all things. We should not expect to know the purpose for all things. And again, you know, I've talked and I shared some of this with you. I've talked with atheists and said, well, you know, unless, unless I know it 100%, I'm not going to believe it. Stop. Stop. There's nothing that you know 100% that we know 100%. And so we go through that idea just because we don't know it and we shouldn't expect to know it. We couldn't handle all knowledge. We can't, we don't handle the knowledge we have right now, right? We would just compound our problems if we knew more or all. Okay, so we're finite beings. We always have to remember that. An infinite being. This narrows it down. It makes it easy. There's only one, right? And that's the God of all creation. An infinite being is one who has always existed and always will exist, an infinite being is omniscient. In other words, they know all things. They're omnibenevolent. They're all good or all loving, right? They're also omnipotent. They're all powerful. Infinite being. An infinite being has a good purpose for all that he does and permits, even suffering and evil. And that's a struggle. That's a struggle for finite beings to grasp when you, you see a small child die of cancer or somebody at, at the hands of a hideous crime and you're like, my God, why? Why? It doesn't make any sense to us. And again, because we're finite beings, there's things that can come out of that that we, would just, we can't understand right now. Right? Romans 8.28 tells us, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Warren. Even though Job didn't have Romans 8 28, that was a story of his life. He had no clue why God was allowing that. Yeah. So I like to explain faith like the bottom line at the end of it. Though he slayed it, mm-hmm. yet will I love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. His, his faithfulness was towards the Lord. I don't understand any of this. It's, it's, it's an egregious injustice. It's all of these things. He was, he was faithful to the Lord. Even when his wife was like, you know what, just be done with this. Just be done with it. He's like, mm-mm, we're not walking down that road. Right? And, and again, you know, we get, to read, we get to read chapter 1 of Job. Right? We get to read chapter 1 of Job, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, we've got some insight to this. Like you said, he didn't have it. Job didn't have it. Um, and the other thing is, is you know, I, I, I've heard people quote this verse, and, and man, and they use it for everybody. It's not for everybody. For those who love God. For those who love God. Those he's called according to his purpose. Those things will work out for good. Even the bad. Even the bad. 
that's predicated upon that exception. Evil may happen today that brings unexplained suffering, but through the passing of time, we may see the good that comes to the suffering. Man, if we just opened it, there's no doubt, there's all kinds of stories in this room right here, you know, where we went through a difficult time, and it's like, this is messed up. This is messed up. And then as we look through that corridor of time, looking back, we're like, wow, I saw, I see God's goodness in that. I see God's goodness in it. I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. I can see it now. And so we, we want to recognize that. Just because I don't see it today, I may see it in a year. I may see it in 10 years. I may not see it this side of heaven. But I know what God's word says. He will work all things to his good and his glory. All right? And so we see this idea... Here, one in Genesis 50, 20 with Joseph, right? Obnoxious kid, bothered his brothers. They sold him into slavery. Okay, maybe, he, maybe that was okay, okay? Maybe that was okay for Joseph, right? But then he goes, works for Potiphar, gets accused of, of trying to sexually assault Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown in prison, and he's there for two or three years. And you're like, really, Lord? I'm I'm trying to do what's right here. And so he's in prison. But what we see is, is he finishes up Genesis. He says, what you meant evil against me. He's talking to his brothers, right? But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people's lives. Man, Joseph went through it. to save the nation of Israel. Not just the nation of Israel, but really much of Egypt. Much of Egypt with the famine. Right? Because it's Joseph who interpreted the dream. And he said, you know what? you got seven good years coming. You need to store up the grain because after that you got seven bad years coming. Man, Egypt was even preserved through the evil that was done to Joseph. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Joseph couldn't see it at the time. He did, looking back through that quarter of time. All right? We see Peter, Matthew 26, right? He denies Christ. Not a good moment for him. In John 21, Jesus restores Peter. In Acts, we see Peter's the leader of the church. You know, and I love that whole restoration story that, that takes place there and uh, it's always kind of interesting as you, as you I, I think it's interesting as you, as you look through that. And, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, I love you. Ask him again. Lord, you know I love you. And then he asked him again the third time. And it says Peter was crushed. He was, he was broken because the Lord asked him a third time. And, of course, part of that's tied to because he denied Christ three times. But when we go through and we look at the word love in those passages, right? Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Or he says, do you agape me? Is what he says. Do you agape is the highest form of love, right? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. And so we ask him the second time, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. 
And the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? He changed it. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Man, he's asking for a different kind of love. He's asking initially for that agape, the highest form of love. Let me tell you, before Peter denied Christ, he'd have been, I agape you, Lord, more than anybody agapes you. you I'm, I'll die with, for you. Can you imagine if you put Peter, that Peter, in charge of the church? It would have been a train wreck. It would have been a train wreck to have somebody that pompous, that arrogant. But man, through his denial of Christ, he was broken. He was broken. And the beauty of that is, is when you, why did Jesus change that to phileo? Man, Jesus doesn't ask from you what you can't give. He only asks what you can give. And Peter couldn't give that agape at that time. Phileo is all I've got. That's all I can give you, Lord. I'll take it. Man, that is the goodness of God bringing about good through Peter's failure. That prepared Peter to lead the church, among other things. But that was a big one. Questions? All right. The greatest evil that brought about the greatest possible good? The crucifixion of Christ. Man, when I get into these discussions about evil... That's where I'm going to end it. Why doesn't God do something about the evil in the world? He has. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all the evil you committed, all the evil I committed, all the evil that's been committed in the world, that he would make it right. God has done something about it, and he is doing something about it, and he's going to do something about it. And he's going to bring that to completion, but it's going to be through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death and his burial and his resurrection. God has done something about that. Because God has brought about good of the past evils and sufferings, we can trust him to do so again and again and again. God's faithful because he sees the good that's going to come through that, that evil. So he permits it. So he permits it. So good purposes for pain and suffering, what are they? One, pain can keep us from self-destruction. Pain can keep us from self-destruction. Right? The nervous system transmits pain to warn us that something's wrong. Right? If we heed the warnings, we can take, take steps to prevent death. Or we can just keep going on and say, oh, it's good. It's, it's just indigestion. It's indigestion. I, a friend of mine, he just came to, and he's, he's in my office. And he says, man, I, I think I'm having a heart attack. And I'm like, why, why do you think that? Well, I'm, I'm kind of having this pain right here. And, and I'm like, well, maybe you should just go to the doctor. Well, it could be because I, maybe I strained something in my back when I was working out. Well, you just want to toss a coin and see, see how that works out for you? I mean, what do you, what do you want to do? I think I'm going to wait. And I'm like, okay. So if you wake up dead, don't, don't come to me, right? <laughs> don't come to me. I don't want to hear it. So on the next day, it was a pain in his back, so it's, it's all good. You don't have to worry about it. But the nervous system tells us there's pain in our body. It tells us that there's something wrong, right? And I see all the men in the room, 
right? And you're going to be, oh, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's not good. Sometimes it's, you know, heed the warnings. Ultimately, that's what it is, all right? So pain can keep us from self-destructing. Pain must be painful enough to get our attention. It must be painful enough to get our attention. Man, if it's just a sore muscle, you're moving on. If it's a broken leg, okay, I probably need to go see a doctor. It has to be painful enough to get our attention. For pain to be effective, it must be out of our control. If I can take something to alleviate the pain, I will. And that's, that's my mantra. If a pill will fix it, I'll take it. It's got to be out of our control. And so when we think about that in terms of suffering of evil, right? Obviously, we, we bring a lot of our problems on ourselves, but there's problems that, that aren't because of us. And when that pain comes, we need to do something about that, right? Again, it's just, you know, our oldest son, he was, he was certainly the prodigal in our family. And, man, he turned 18, he was gone. He was gone. And just, just living like hell. And so, man, we just, we just prayed. We just prayed. You know, he'd always call with his problems, and I'd say, okay, well, let's talk about it. This is how did this happen? How did we get here? Yeah, 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 Dad. And then it was like, well, what's God's word say? And he knew it. What well, says this? Then that's what you need to go do. He wouldn't. And so I finally got to the point where, okay, we just need to pray that God breaks him without causing harm for, to somebody else. And that was our prayer. Man, that is the hardest. If you got kids, you know that's the hardest thing to pray for your kids. Lord, break them. Lord, break them. Man, it took like three years. And he broke him. He walks with the Lord now, and that's God's goodness, and that's God's faithfulness. But it took that kind of pain to turn his heart back to the things of God. Ward? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's why it becomes so important that, man, that your children learn and trust the Lord when they're early, right? As opposed to when they're 30, 40, 50 years old, and that heart is hard, and that heart is hard. Um, if we can take something to alleviate the pain, we will. Pain and suffering can make us stronger mentally, emotionally, and physically. can make us... And again, it's that whole idea... If you, if you work out, if you're into lifting weights or anything, I mean, you, you build muscle mass, and it's called time under tension is what it's called. You can tell that I, I do this all the time, right? I'm just, and so it's, called, it's time under tension, man, and you are just putting your muscles under tension, and you do so under heavier weight for longer periods of time, and that's how you grow strength, and that's how you grow mass, right? And, and it's to anything. Man, if you're playing, learning to play the piano, Again, you know my, my music ability, right? So you're going to be impressed by this. Man, it takes a lot of practice. That's boring. Now play your scales. Play your scales. I don't want to play my scales. I don't want to do that. Man, 
But in the end, for some people, they learn to play the piano. Right? Time under tension. And so suffering, pain and suffering can make us stronger mentally, emotionally, and physically. I, I, I love to tell this story, and it's, it's my sister-in-law. Um, she had cancer. Just years ago, she had cancer, uh, double mastectomy. I mean, it was, it was awful. And, and I, we know it was awful for her, and it was awful for the family. And this years afterwards, I mean, she's cancer-free now. Praise God for that. And she, her and my, my wife were just talking, and she goes, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but I wouldn't change that for anything. And Ann asked her, why? She goes, I have never been drawn closer to the Lord than during those times. And now I look back, and God was faithful. God was faithful. Pain and suffering can make us stronger mentally, emotionally, and physically. Man, it did for her. In all of those situations, it did for her. She wouldn't wish that on anybody, but she wouldn't change it for anything. Man, that's a huge statement. That's a huge statement. I'm okay with pain as long as it's yours. But when it starts to come home, I'm like, oh, mm-mm. I'm not there. I'm not there. We don't always get that choice. Right? Going through pain and suffering today can equip me to help others later. Can equip me to help others later. You know, I'm, I, struggle, I struggle with alcoholism. Had for many years, my life, again, started at a very young age. It's, it's a problem for me. It's a problem for me. And so it's, it's not something I can ever go back to. I know that. But I can also talk with those that struggle with alcoholism. I know what it's like to live life inside a bottle. I know what it's like to see life through the inside of a bottle. Again, that's a horrible thing that I did to me, I did to my body, I did to my family. But God uses that now that I can have those conversations with other people. It's like, hey, there's hope and there's a way out. I know. I know there is. So what we go through today can help, can equip us for, to help others later. Evil and suffering can turn our hearts to God. And that's usually what, it's either going to turn you to God or it's going to turn you away from God. I don't know what, the, what's the trip on that. Why do some turn to God and others turn away from I don't know. I don't know what that is. I just know that some go to God and some go from God. I just had a student, there's somebody that they're working with, and, and she, she asked this employee, or the employee asked her about what she believes, and so she was sharing, you know, her Christian faith. And, and so she said, well, what is it that you believe? And what, let me see, make it this. I, I believe in pagan mythology or a pagan mythologist. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a new that's a new one. And so she asked him, why is it that you believe that? And he says, and again, hurt by the church. Hurt by the church. It's really an angry theist. Right? But because they're hurt by the church, this person lays that at the feet of God and rejects. And again, they're Certainly, there's more to that story. Uh, it'll unfold as time goes on. But evil and suffering can turn our hearts to God. 
or it can turn us away. God's glory can be displayed through suffering. God's glory can be displayed through suffering. John 9, 1 through 3, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And there's a lady I knew, her husband, cancer, I mean, it was just, again, it was kind of a quick thing, but and you're thinking, man, why? Why would he get this cancer? You know, and they're praying through it, and he's a godly man. This guy is in the hospital knowing that he's dying, and he's just sharing the gospel. And the people in the hospital are like, why are you like this? Why would I not be? Man, this is somebody that was faithful to the Lord because the Lord's faithful to him. Even in facing death, he's, like, he's speaking words of life. He's speaking words of life. God gets the glory in those situations. God gets all of the glory in that. Questions? All right. We learn more through suffering than we do through pleasure. We learn more through suffering than we do through pleasure. Right? And so we end up in this, this idea of hedonism, and that's just a, the pursuit of pleasure in, in all shapes and forms. And, and, you know, what we find out is those that live those kind of lifestyles, not only do they not grow, but they end up degenerating. They end up declining in their ability to think and their ability to do because it ends up just destroying their body. Unceasing pleasure, right? Solomon writes about that. He sought all the pleasure that he could. And in the end, right, in the end, it comes back to the Lord. We learn more through suffering than we do through pleasure. Next, suffering develops character. Suffering develops character. Right, Romans 5, 2 through 4. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope in, in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character hope. It develops character. Just like time under tension, when we look at muscles, it builds strength, it builds mass, it does the same thing for us emotionally, physically spiritually it builds our character through that we learn this idea of virtue right it's almost a lost word in our culture today um, we learn virtue we learn character through struggles james 1 2 and 4 through 4 says consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing and again, we can look back. Let's think about, I mean, especially if, who, who came to know Christ maybe later in their life, not as, not as a child? I, I was like 24 years old. Oh, everybody else was pretty young. Okay. Man. Were you like me and once you got saved, you had it all figured out? Were you like that? I mean, you just did it all good? No. Yeah, me neither, right? And so it's just over time of struggles and sinning and repenting and, and just going through. God grows us. 
right? It's that idea of justification is our point of salvation. Sanctification is that process of being conformed into the image of Christ. And that's a process that continues until we draw our last breath here and we move on into glory. The whole life is a life of perseverance, of struggles, of trials. And it's in that that we grow to be more like Christ. We see God's faithfulness in that. We see the body of Christ step up and fill its role to help those that are struggling. That's God's purpose and design. That's God's purpose and design. 1 Peter 1.7 it says, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, if our faith is never tested, it's never going to grow. Oldest daughter grew up certainly here at Bellevue. And, you know, she's just like a lot of Bellevue kids, she's just living life good and going to all the camps and spending all our money and, right, and probably not very appreciative. But she's going off to college, and I said, you're going to learn about your faith now. You will learn about your faith over these next few years. Oh, Dad, my faith is strong. My faith is strong. I said, you've been living on your parents' faith. You've been living on your parents' faith. And so, man, she was... The end of her sophomore year in college, she just called me. She's just crying. I know what you mean about faith. Because when you leave home and you go away, that support system is it's just not there. It's not as readily available. And she had to walk through difficult times without that support. But her faith grew. And God gave her her own faith and not her parents' faith. You know, I meet a few kids. Man, they've got struggles and trials through their teenage years. They develop faith early. They develop faith early because they're experiencing these James moments, right? These first Peter moments where they're at. Most of our kids, they don't get it until they, go, until they leave home. They don't get it until they leave home. They're living on their parents' faith. But they'll gain their faith or they'll walk away from the faith. Ward. Man, I prayed it in tears. I prayed it in tears because I knew what it meant. I knew what it meant. I knew what it meant to be broken by God. Man, nobody wants their, their child to go through that. Nobody wants that. It, it took me two years to get to the point to pray that prayer. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I won't do it. And then it just, it got, okay, Lord. Break him. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, if it's going to bring him back to you, break him. And it's a hard prayer. And, you know, and when you, when you tell a parent that, that's going through it, and they're like, 
sometimes I say, wow, what a monster you are, Rick. And that may be true, but not because of what I've requested. Right? Because, like you said, until we reach bottom, some of us, until we reach bottom, we're not going to look up. We're not going to look up. Yeah. It's a hard prayer to pray. But if you don't pray it, who will? If you don't pray it for your child, who will? God's purposes are the context that gives suffering meaning and significance. God's purposes are the context that gives suffering meaning and significance. If there is no God, there's no meaning, there's no purpose to anything, whether it's good or bad. There's none. If there is no God. Next, it's not our home. This world is not our home. All right, Hebrews 13, 14. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. You know, and that's and that's Augustine. That's his city of God, the book that he wrote. I mean, he's and he's talking about this. Well, you know, we're we're citizens of this city, this earthly city. We're citizens here, but our home is the city of God. And we must never forget that. This is not our home. Bad things are going to happen in this world. Struggles are going to be here. This is not our home. This is not our home. Man, Norm... Norm Geisler said, this world is not the best possible world, but it is the best way to the best possible world. It's the best way to the best possible world. You're not getting to heaven through this life, apart from this life. You've you got to go through this to get to heaven. That's the only way. It's not the best possible world, but it is the best way to the best possible world. Questions? All right. Love this quote by Randy Alcorn. This world's the closest to heaven unbelievers will ever know, and it's the closest to hell God's children will ever know. Man, I love that. This is the closest to hell that I will ever experience. And for unbelievers, this is the closest to heaven they're ever going to get. And that's why we need to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel and creating a culture that flourishes, that desires that which is good and beautiful and true. Those are the things that we need to be after. Man, God not dealing completely with evil now does not mean that a time of reckoning is not coming. Man, we talk a lot about justice in this world, and we should. If there is no God... If justice is not served on somebody in this world, then it never will be. It never will be served. Man, Hitler, all kinds of atrocities. Wicked, evil person. Took his own life. Took his own life. He died by suicide. Where's the justice in that? The next breath he drew, he received justice. 
because he was standing before the living God. If there is not a God of all creation, there's not eternal life, there's many people that will never have justice served against him and people that will never see justice on their behalf. But because there is a God, there will be justice. Evil will be completely done away with. And again, that's the, that's the beautiful thing. I was just reading some stuff before I came in here. Man, evil's a temporary thing. Evil's a temporary thing. Man, abundant life in our Lord Jesus Christ, that's everlasting. That's everlasting. My wife was told her kids growing up, look, you can, you can handle anything for a short period of time. You can handle anything for a short period of time. Keep that in mind. We can handle this life because it's a short period of time. It's a short period. Revelations 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds, and they were judged. Every one of them according to their deeds. Anyone's name that was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment's coming. Justice will be served. God will see to it. His character demands it. God's character demands that justice be served. That justice be served. If God does not exist, we cannot claim that evil does. What becomes our standard for claiming something that's evil or good? Right? It was this idea that brought C.S. Lewis out of atheism that started him on his trek towards becoming a follower of Christ. You know, because he struggled. He said, how do I even know that evil exists unless there's a standard by which we call something good? He said, we don't know a crooked line unless we have seen a straight line. How do I know that there's good and evil? There must be something else. And that started C.S. Lewis on his walk towards the Lord. That very question, that very idea. If you cannot rightly identify evil, then you lose the capacity to correct it. Think about that for the world that we live in today. If we cannot rightly identify evil, then you lose the capacity to correct it. Man. When we're killing the babies in the womb and we call it good, we call it health care. If we can't see that as evil, we'll never be able to correct that. Right? We're mutilating our children through transgender surgeries and we call that good. If we can't see the evil in that, we can't correct it. And that's what the world is facing. They call evil good and good evil. There's no way that they can offer a solution to one problem that we have. Not one. They create the problems. They offer zero solutions. We have the solution. We know what is evil and we know what is good. We must speak to it. We must live to it. We have to call evil good or evil evil and good good if you cannot rightly identify it you don't have the capacity to correct it you know I was just thinking man we can't even define what a woman is today oh my gosh basic stuff 
When one denies original sin and evil, it will lead to greater levels of sin and evil. I was just reading some stuff on Karl Marx. I don't know if you ever studied Marxism at all. Um, and it's this whole idea. It's, a, it's an economic it's an economic idea, worldview that works, and you know you've got the you've got the proletariat, which are the working class. You know it's the stiffs that just go out and work every day, and then you got the bourgeoisie, who are the or the ninety, they're the one percent, right? They're the one percent, and they control everything and they oppress. And so Marx really believed the idea that man, the working class have been purged of any evil, right? It didn't exist within the working class because of the work that they did purged them of any evil, and so it only existed within the bourgeoisie. And that very idea of communism went on into the 20th century where they killed 80 million of their own people. At the hands of Marxism, of communism, where they said, oh, look, the working class, you're good. They went on to kill over 80 million people. If you deny original sin and evil, which Marx did, it will lead to greater levels of sin and evil. Right? Marxism is looking for this utopian type of idea, this society, this utopian world. Man, utopian. Utopianism outside of what God creates in heaven and earth always leads to dystopia. It always leads to dystopia. You will never get good because it always leads to totalitarianism. It always leads to a loss of freedom. Always. Because in utopianism, they believe in the perfectibility of humanity. Oh, look, we just need the right systems, the right institutions, the right books, the right education, and we can perfect people. And when we do that, we'll bring about this utopian society. That only works if you believe people are basically good. But if people are basically bad, if you identify the problem as wrong, you're going to come up with the wrong solution. You're going to come up with the wrong solution. We cannot deny that there's original sin. It only leads to greater levels. Okay. Again, here's just a warning, right? If someone asks you, why does God allow evil and suffering? Do not automatically assume they're looking for intellectual reasons. Most of the time, there is a deep hurt behind the question. You know, and I can, I can, you can. You can drop the free will thing on them. Oh, well, it's, this is the reason why you, this evil's happening. They're not after that. They're not after the theological treaties. Man, they, does God care? Does God care about the pain and the suffering I'm going through now? So we want to be sensitive to that. We want to be prayed up about that, knowing that most of the time that question, there's a hurt behind the question. It's not necessarily on intellectual grounds. It can be. It can be. Often, our times of greatest spiritual growth come during the trials of our greatest sufferings. When you're at that deepest point of suffering, of wonder, of doubt, of wise, we learn more about God in those moments, and we learn more about ourselves. We always learn that God is going to be good and God is going to be faithful, and God's going to be there for you. He will see you through these difficult times. We just need to persevere, and we need to place our faith in the Lord. We need to know God is always faithful. God is always good, and God is always true. Questions? That's the end.
evil, suffering, purpose, we're good? Wow, I did a great job. Thank you. All right. Last week we talked about the last lesson, which it's what's up with hell. Obviously, you can see this ties directly into that, or we can talk about the survey. Um, I'll tell you, I just, I just prayed about it, and I'm still open to it, but, man, I, I think we should do the hell piece. But since I put it up to you, what do you want to do? <laughs> right? Who's going to go against that, right, Chad? Chad's like, no, no, I don't want to do what you want to do. <laughs> what do you think? Okay. What's that? We're all going to hell. Yeah, done. There you go. We're all going to hell except for Jesus. So questions? No. It's, uh, that's where, anyway, justice. So we'll, do, we'll just do what's up with hell next week, and then if there's time left, we'll kind of kick that survey around, which we do have a few minutes now. Um, I was talking with Melissa and stuff on that survey, right, when we looked at, hang on a second. I think I still got that one on this. Uh-huh. It's not going to pull that one up there. Um, but in the age results, we had like age 60 and above was like 44% they answered with a biblical worldview 100% of the time. And that one just kind of disturbed me. It threw me off because I don't know if we talked about this last week or not. I really thought that those 60 and above would be higher than everybody. And it just got me thinking, why, why were they not? Why not? And so I spent some time talking with some people, and a lady that I disrespect her greatly said, you know, when we grew up, we just believed the Bible. It was God's Word, and we believed it, and we moved on, and we did it. I said, okay, that makes sense. And so she was telling me that, and I said, you know, that just doesn't work for the young people today. It doesn't work. And so what she's saying, we... We never look for, oh, what's the evidence and what are all of these questions and how do we answer that? We, we never had a need to. You were either Christian or you were lost. That's what you were. I was telling Melissa, I was grow, I'm 59 years old. I was growing up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I didn't know anybody that was a Muslim or a Hindu or a Mormon. You either went to church or you didn't. I was in the group that didn't. And so you didn't have all of these other worldviews. You didn't have this, right? And so just, again, this young lady that I'm talking about, there's like four different worldviews of people that she works with in one little shop. And because they're hit with that and the older generation was not, it's like we, we don't need that evidence, we believe. And so I think... That's one of the reasons why we end up with that, with that disparity with that. And, and, I'm, and I'm open for ideas on that or anything else. <laughs> yeah, Melissa. I never saw that as a 
Yeah, 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 definitely not. That's, yeah. Don? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this there's a lot of different areas to point to. And one of my favorite Christmas movies, right? And you're thinking, man, you're really going off on the rabbit trail, right? One of my, it's The Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. My wife and I, we love it. We love it. And so the, the mom's talking with the little girl about Santa Claus, and it's Santa Claus, I got that. And so, and he said, you just got to have faith. And the mom says, what? And asked the little girl, well, you know what faith is, right? And the little girl says, yeah, faith is believing what you know is not true. Do you know when that movie was made? It's like in the 1950s. Faith is believing in things that you know is not true. Man, this stuff, it's, it's been moving. It's been happening for a long time, right? I've shared this quote. It's C.S. Lewis said that the hottest topics or the most hotly debated ideas or the most dangerous, I'm sorry, the most dangerous ideas are not those that are being hotly debated today. It's those that aren't even being discussed Man, it's those undercurrents that get us, right? When you're at the ocean, you can see the wave coming, and you can prepare for that. But, man, it's the riptide that will get you. You don't even see it, and it will destroy you. And so, man, there's ideas out there, and they've been out there for a long time. We scratch our heads and say, where did that come from? It's been around for 30, 40, 50 years. Just another example. Amanda. It was the 35 to 59. It was the 35 to 59. <laughs> Look at all these people. Yeah. Right? This is that group. But these ideas that come about is we, we first moved to Memphis, and, man, it was 20, 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. And we started homeschooling our smaller kids, and, and our son was going. He was fifth grade. And he was having some problems in the school. And so we, we went down there and we were talking to the teacher and he's got all A's. And, and I'm like, well, I thought you said he was struggling in class. And, and he said, well, it's not his grades. He's just bothering all the other students. I'm like, I got no problem believing that. And I'm like, well, how does he even have time? He says, well, he finishes his work early and then he bothers all the other students. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. I understand. Giving more work. Well, no, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, I'll have to grade it. And so I'm like, I'll tell you, I get it. You got a lot of students. Send it home and I'll grade it. Send it home and I'll grade it. And so she was, she just wasn't willing to work with this. And and my wife, we we call her a force of nature, right? And I think there's some truth to that. She just tells the teacher, she goes, bottom line, you are just failing to do your job because you're not really teaching my son anyway. And I'm like, woo. Wow. It's because you have to go talk to the principal. And my wife, being the timid person that she is, fine. We just march on down to the principal's office, and we're talking to the principal, and the principal's like, look, I know that's your child, but when you drop them off at this door, they become our children. 
man, my wife lost it. You can see the gas gets flown all over the place, right? And that's the way, that was 30 years ago. They were talking about that idea. There are children, right? Which is really a Marxist idea that the children would belong to the state, right? So the parents can work. And so, man, it's just, it infiltrates everything that we do. And that's why it's important that we study worldviews. We understand what is taking place around us so we can, we can know how to respond. But so that we can also know, is it creeping into our walks? Is it creeping into our life? That's why, I mean, I do apologetics. I do worldviews. I study this stuff because I just think it's important. And I do, you know, next semester, January 11th, we'll do 18 weeks of worldviews. I mean, that's, it'll just be straight 18 weeks, and we'll be looking at worldviews, and we'll cover all of this. So I was going to say it'll be a fun time. I don't know if it'll be fun, but it'll be, it'll be interesting, if nothing else, if nothing else. So it's just important that, we, that we, we, we're introspective, that we're introspective, and we look at ourselves and say, Lord, where am I at? Am I letting false ideas creep into my life, my marriage, my family, my home, my work, my wherever it's at?